0: Welcome to this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. I am Stuart Blythe, a member of the Faculty at ADC and the Dean of Chapel. Here you'll get a chance to hear perceptive and powerful sermons which were delivered by staff, faculty, students, alumni and guests as part of our weekly Wednesday Chapel services. mentioned we're really pleased to have Garth here with us and we're just waiting for you oh there you are Garth we can all see you in the room so welcome Garth it's nice to see you welcome
1: thank you Stuart Uh, it's so great to be able to be with you this morning would have loved to have been uh, with you in person Um, but uh, such as things are I'm really glad to be able to join with you uh, in this way So Taylor Swift, for many years, has been criticized uh, in the media uh, for relentlessly being a serial dater and then using those relationships when they broke up uh, as fodder for uh, hit songs, making millions off of her relationships is what some would have said. And so as Taylor Swift began a new relationship, she decided that she would send a message not only to the media, but also as a warning to the new guy that she was dating that there was going to be rocky times, that there were going to be lots of innuendos, that there'd be much uh, criticism as they were under the microscope. And the song that she wrote was, Are You Ready For It? A question is saying, are you ready to take this up? Are you ready to go with me in this manner? Now, as you're sitting there, you're probably thinking, this is not how we thought this sermon was going to start. This is not what we anticipated, that uh, Garth was going to be a Swifty. Now, really, I'm not a Swifty. I just love that song. And I love the message that it portrays out of broken relationship, out of of, uh, tense times. Are you ready to go down that road with me? And it got me thinking about another relationship, the relationship between uh, Peter, also known as Cephas, and Paul, as we see in this relationship uh, in the Galatians context. So as we think about that passage, I kind of, you know, what's the issue? What's going on here? You see, for all intents and purposes, Peter and Paul really weren't that far apart in what they believed and what they thought. They both had received a call to minister to the Gentiles, both as Jews called out of the legalism nature of Judaism. They were invited to go and take the message to non-Jews to spread the gospel uh, in, in a growing missionary context. They both had some tension with the church in Jerusalem. They were certainly not aligned with everything that the church in Jerusalem uh, stood for, particularly in and around this area of legalism. They both recognized that embedded cultural laws can certainly get in the way of the gospel message. So if they were so aligned in this desire around the communication of the gospel not being affected by legalism, what is it that caused the rift between the two of them? Well, we can sum that up in one word, and that's hypocrisy. You see, when Peter first started his ministry in Antioch, it appears to be that things were going well. Uh, that he engaged with the culture that he was a part of, that he got to know the, uh, the uh, Gentile Christians in Antioch. And we see that even in that he would attend their homes and would sit at table with them and in, would engage in them in, in life. And it doesn't seem that he was enforcing any of the Jewish laws upon them, whether it would be food laws or cleansing rites or uh, even circumcision, He engaged with them where they were at and treated them as equal brothers and sisters in Christ. But then something changes, right? So what takes place is that the Jewish, uh, the Jerusalem church sent some spies in to see how things were going. If you can think about it this way, what Peter was doing was relatively messy. He was living, uh, he and Paul were both living on this edge of the faith at that time and engaging with a culture or a people that really were on the outside of where the movement had began. And so it was a bit messy for him to be reaching out and engaging uh, with Gentiles, all the while the church back in Jerusalem was going, we're not really sure about this, this is pretty on the edge. This is pretty outside of our comfort zone, and you can almost hear them saying or wishing that Peter would just cool it, that he would just slow things down, that he would wait for the rest of the church to catch up. And so they send uh, some people to check in on him and to to see what's going on. When I think about messiness, I I have a tendency to go back into my mind when I was a young child. Cleanliness or orderliness was not a high priority uh, in. in in the care of the possessions that were at my hands. And what I mean by that is that if you walked in my bedroom, it was looking like a bomb had gone off. There were toys all over the place. There were stuffed animals all over the place. It was just chaos. And every now and again, my mom would say, it's time to clean the room. And I didn't want to clean my room because if I'd wanted to clean my room, it wouldn't have been in the condition it was. So I would go about it and I would sweep everything under the bed. I would just take everything and I would just shove it under the bed. I would just sweep it out of sight, somehow thinking that even though the last time I did that it didn't work and mom looked under the bed, I still continued to do that and mom still continued to look under the bed and then stand in the room until I put everything back together. And that's sort of what Peter does in this instance, is that as the people are coming from Jerusalem, and I don't know if he had forewarning of this or not, but as James sends his people up to check in on what's going on, Peter seemingly just sweeps the mess in underneath the bed and he pulls back from the relationship with the Gentile brothers. He um, no longer sits at table with them and he just moves back into a position that reflects the cultural laws of the Jewish at the Jewish time. And Peter is not happy with this. He's not really patient at all with Peter's struggle of walking this edge of, of challenge or this being on this edge of ministry. And so he seeks to address the legalism uh, and this hypocrisy in a direct conflict uh, with Peter. Paul sees this as being anti-gospel behavior, a behavior that isn't uh isn't just neutral. Uh, to the gospel, but this is against the gospel that they have been entrusted to share. So Paul, in his meekness and gentleness, and yes, that's sarcasm for those who are wondering, confronts Peter and calls him out in front of the leaders of the day. So those who were present, Paul doesn't identify them, but if the concern is because there have been people come from Jerusalem, and then there are leaders from within uh, the the Gentile congregation there amongst them, Paul calls Peter to task in the midst of them and really says, like, what on earth are you doing? How can you as a Jew not live as a Jew, but as a Gentile, then turn around and expect those who are non-Jews as Gentiles to live in the Jewish way and to keep Jewish laws? And Peter, Paul, really chastises Peter in this manner. So so what does this mean? How do we unpack this for you and I today? Well, the first thing that I want to draw out of this is that the lack of integrity is a killer to our reputation. Uh, Behind me in the glass bookcase, I don't know if you can see that over my shoulder. You can also see my cat on the couch. Sorry about that. But he likes to hang out at these events too. But in my my bookcase, there's a book um, by... uh, so let me just I want to get his name, because if you fact check me, I want to make sure that I've got it right. But it's Burt Decker. Now, Burt Decker is probably an author that you've never heard of uh, because, he, well, he's a business author and he really hasn't been that successful in his books that he's written. And I really never intend to read this book. I never really intend to to uh, to open it, but I bought it simply because of the title. And in fact, the title, I think, is so good that he really didn't need to waste his time writing the rest of the book, because the title is this. You've got to be believed to be heard. Let me say that again. You've got to be believed to be heard. Integrity matters. Our actions need to line up with our words. They have to come together. And our actions, if they don't line up with our words, create a dissonance around us that people can miss the message of freedom in Christ. Paul knew that they lived in chaotic times. And Paul knew that in chaos, uh, character and consistency were crucial to having the message go forward and to be shared. And he knew that legalism in times of chaos is easy. When we are in stress and when we are in trouble, when we feel like the world is falling apart, it is easy to revert back to rules and regulations and legalisms because we at least know that we are then winning or at least complying. We live in chaotic times today too, don't we? the world around us is in chaos, the church in North America can also be said, it is in chaos. And in these times, it is incredibly important for the church to act with integrity. We need to make sure that as what we say is followed up with our actions. And we're struggling to be able to do that. It doesn't take much to uh, go online and and enter into a dialogue about Christianity and we get the message loud and clear that we don't seem to be lining up to the message that is reflected in scripture. And add on to that, the clergy sexual abuse scandal that is hitting our churches across North America and our integrity as the Church of Christ is at risk. So integrity matters. The second thing that I want to draw out here is that it's very clear that in this passage in Galatians, we need to hold one another accountable. You see, Peter and Paul's conflict was centered around ceremonial laws, but really it was about the integrity of the gospel. And as co-laborers of the gospel, Paul didn't want Peter to get caught into the weeds of legalism again. He knew the damage that legalism could do not only to the organization, but to the individual. He was as concerned about the propagation of the gospel as he was about Peter's own life, about Peter's own soul, about Peter's own relationship. Paul knew that legalism leads to death. Paul also knew that hypocrisy leads to chaos in one's own life and not peace. So out of love and compassion for the church and for the individual, Paul takes Peter to task and seeks to hold him accountable. Well, you and I too live in a culture where we do ministry and relationship, and that at times we will be in conflict with one another. And in times we'll see one another slip into areas that reflect inconsistency or hypocrisy in what we proclaim to believe. And we need one another to hold us accountable. We need to care enough about the message of hope in Jesus Christ for both the church and for us as individuals to address those in an appropriate way and call one another to task and hold ourselves accountable and to to hold ourselves accountable to holding others accountable. Such an important part. And in many ways, we have lots of people who are willing to hold people accountable. It's just often not done with the right uh, tone, (laughs) the right compassion, the right grace. But you and I as Christian leaders, as those who will lead our congregations, we need to be held accountable and we need to hold others accountable as well. The third thing that I want to try out of this, and, you know, we could easily kind of look at what's gone on and we could say, oh, you know, be a Paul, don't be a Peter. Be like Paul. Hold people accountable. Be a Paul. Live a life of integrity. Be a Paul. Stand firm and challenge those who push back. But I think if we took that position, I think we'd miss something significant in this passage. You see, the thing that sticks with me with this passage is I want to know how Peter responded to being addressed in that way by Paul. Like, how did Peter feel when he was taken to task in front of those spiritual, the spiritual family that he'd been a part of? Uh, those spiritual leaders from Jerusalem, the spiritual leaders who were there with him in Antioch, the Jewish community as well as the Gentile community. How did he feel and how did he respond? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but when I'm challenged in that way, and I have been challenged in that way, I have this rush of adrenaline that comes to the forefront. And there's something in me that either wants to fight or flight. I either want to engage in a in a in a knockdown, drag them out, roll around in the mud and get everybody dirty, or I just kind of want to flee and go to a corner and lick my wounds. And for each of us, we will go through this experience when we are challenged or we are held accountable for the inconsistencies in our lives. And there will be, unfortunately, inconsistencies in our life. But how do we respond in that moment and in that time? Did Peter run away and sulk? Uh, Did Peter, uh, you know, go aggressively against Paul? Well, we only have Paul's side of this conversation or this experience, and it seems to be that just it was all about Paul. Huh, that's interesting, isn't it? But in the midst of this, what we do begin to see is if we go back to Acts 15, and if I've got my history right, and, and really, you guys can debate this in your classes later if I've got my timeline correct or not, but this seems to have taken place just before Acts 15. And in Acts 15, Paul shows up to Jerusalem to meet with the council there. And at stake is this debate of legalism, circumcision uh, being required of Gentile believers, food laws and restrictions being required for Gentile believers. And as they engage in the conversation, it goes on for some time. But if we pick the storyline up in Acts 15, 6, this is what unfolds. The apostles and leaders called a special meeting to consider the matter. By the way, this is the message version. The arguments went on and on, back and forth, getting more and more heated. Then Peter took the floor. Friends, you well know that from early on, God made it quite plain that he wanted the pagans to hear the message of this good news and embrace it. And not in any secondhand or roundabout way, but firsthand, straight from my mouth. And God, who can't be fooled by any pretense on our past or on our part, but always knows a person's thoughts, gave them the Holy Spirit exactly as he gave him to us. He treated the outsider exactly as he treated us, beginning at the very center of who they were and working from that center outward, cleaning up their lives as they trusted and believed him. So why are you now trying to out God, God? loading these new believers down with rules that crushed our ancestors and crush us too. Don't we believe that we are saved because the master Jesus amazingly and out of sheer generosity moved to save us just as he did those from beyond our nation? So what are we arguing about? So here in the Council of Jerusalem, Paul is debating these issues, and Peter, who has gone toe-to-toe with Paul, or at least felt Paul's wrath before, stands up in agreement with the message that Paul is trying to communicate with the church in Jerusalem. What that tells me is Paul didn't, or Peter didn't run away and lick his wounds after the confrontation with Paul. What it tells me is that Peter learned from the engagement with Paul at that point in time, and came out ahead of time, just as God would intend us to when he rebukes us, when he challenges us, when he leads us to a place of, rich, of enrichment than where we were. And so Peter grows from the moment, takes a lot of humility, takes a lot of grace, and takes a lot of courage. But we no longer see him afraid of the church in Jerusalem. We see him actually very powerful, filled with the Holy Spirit, ready to communicate clearly what the mission should be and what the mission should not be. So what I would say is that we actually need to be like Peter. (laughs) We need to be a Peter when we face those moments of criticism around us. You see, being a pastor in a local congregation will be one of the greatest rewarding experiences that you could ever have. There's nothing like standing in the baptismal tank, uh, but preparing someone for to, to baptize someone who you have seen them their lives turned around because of an encounter with the Holy Spirit, because of an encounter with the risen Jesus. There's nothing greater than being able to take a newborn baby and to walk them around the congregation displaying them to to those who will pray for them, those who will teach them as parents dedicate their child because they want to be disciples and they want their child to be a disciple as well. There's nothing more powerful than seeing the preached word you know make a difference in the lives of those in your congregation and in those moments when the holy spirit falls And that worship experience is is indescribable, are great moments of blessing and joy. But it isn't always easy. There will be conflict. There will be wrestling with relationships. And just like every good day at a beach that ends, and you need to deal with the dusty sand and the sunburn and walk that long walk back to the car. It will be tiresome. It will be weary. It will be heartbreakingly sad at moments. But my question for you in these exciting days, in these days of opportunity for God to use the church to make a difference in a broken world, My question is this, are you ready for it? Thanks. Thank you for joining us in this Acadia
0: Divinity College Chapel podcast. You can follow us on social media. Discover more on our website at acadiadiv.ca or join us for chapel on a Wednesday.